safe drivers save up to 20% with insurance. Get a quote at AAA.com slash insurance. Get the scoop on Tigers today. Listening to Tigers SRD on SportsRadioDetroit.com. Welcome to Tigers SRD on the Tiger Minor League Report Network. And tonight our guest is from the Athletic Detroit. And he also has a website too. You can find some of his past work at CodyStephenHagen.com. Cody, welcome. How are you doing tonight? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me, guys. Awesome. So, Chris. Yeah, thanks for joining us. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, Cody. Um, yeah, we always, uh, when our guests come on, we always ask them about their earliest baseball memory. And I, I remember reading, I believe you wrote a story about playing against Jake Rogers. Yeah. So your earliest baseball memory is probably going to be a lot, <laughs> a lot uh, more recent than ours, but I'd still love to hear it. Yeah. So I'm, uh, I'm 25, and I think the, the first thing that really sticks out would be. Um, the 99 World Series, Braves, Yankees, I would have been five at the time. And my dad, um, really both my parents were kind of big TBS Braves fans. I grew up in Texas, but uh, we were a Braves household for sure. And for whatever reason, I kind of finally sat down and, and uh, got into the whole baseball thing one night. I think game one of the 99 World Series, I know my dad had been trying to get me to you know, watch the Braves or get into baseball. And um, I just hadn't done it until that point. And for whatever reason, he finally got me to sit down and pay attention. And I remember telling him telling me about Chipper Jones and the crazy train and uh, the Braves got swept in four games, you know, but it was a great introduction to, wow, I like a team that's really good. Oh, wait, they, uh, they got swept in four games. So you got both ends of the spectrum there real quick. Um, next opening day kind of got like the tops opening day set of baseball cards and, and, uh, started playing baseball. So I was, I was pretty much hooked from there. Nice. Yeah. I'd be honest with you. I don't remember anything about the 99 world series. Yeah. I don't think the games were very good. I think the Yankees just dominated. <laughs> yeah. I, mean, I remember 96, I think it was because the Braves won the first two games mm-hmm. and then yeah. the Yankees won the next four. And then I remember 97 because that was the kind of the crazy walk off for the Marlins and Jim Leland. But, uh, yeah, well, that's, that, I mean, that's cool though. It's always, uh, interesting. I think we had one of our buddies, uh, we had on before named Jason. He was from Florida. I think and his, he grew up a Braves fan too. So I do think we talked about this with, with like Chicago and Cubs fans and, and WGN. I, I think people, I don't know if people underestimate, but, or people remember, you know, having those super stations with games on all across the country that must have got garnered a lot of fans around the around the country. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, I I got to know a lot of Braves fans from all different places. Went to college with some other Braves fans. Um, yeah, it's something that that I don't really know if you can replicate. You know, those stations are gone. Yeah, I mean, the biggest thing about TB, TBS that I remember and recall too with, with the super station was when Steve Avery, who grew up in this area. Played for the Braves. Everybody was a Braves fan where I grew up, and some of the some of the teams that we had in our league changed from. We had a team that was the Apaches, and now they changed it to the Braves. In honor of Steve Avery, and then also 
really WCW wrestling. It was a Saturday night tradition at our house or in my in, between my older brother and my younger brother. So yeah, the the superstations just synonymous with Braves baseball and bad wrestling in the late night when the WCW folded. But that I can go into that, I digress. And that that '99 Yankees team too. That was just I think it was the middle of that three peat. So I kind of tuned out because the Tigers were just awful and. I watched Chuck Knobloch be. I found out later was tripping on ecstasy during that. <laughs> we found out <laughs> recently, but anywho. Um. So the the one thing I wanted to talk about the couple things we wanted to discuss was there. The, so with the forty man roster and the and the five and the rule five, but what what was interesting was 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 going on in Erie as they were on the list of the forty two minor league affiliates at risk for getting cut. So Cody, you got a chance. To you know, to talk to Greg Coleman, who is the general manager of the Seawolves, and this caught him off guard, and it caught a lot of teams off guard. Lexington Legends come to mind too. That was another team that was referenced in another article. But this is a community that just has done so much. You look what happened with uh, Chase Namata and how they rallied around it, and and just the they have, they have a really good relationship with not only the community, but they draw well. And I, I understand the facilities are a little outdated, but they're working on that. But Talk about the initial reaction. It seems like the Sea Wolves didn't see it coming, and a lot of these teams on on the whole didn't see it coming. But Erie's not that far away; it's about six hours from Detroit, so within distance. So it, it had to shock a lot of people. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I think kind of when the New York Times report came out this past weekend, um, I started reaching out to some people at the affiliates in Erie and Connecticut, the Tigers affiliates that were on the list, and uh, really my first question, my first question to um the Seawolves GM was how did you find out you know and he went on to say well I was on this conference call you know there was a minor league baseball conference call and uh, Coleman thought it was going to be kind of a run-of-the-mill type of thing maybe talk about the offseason talk about whatever was going on league-wide and sure enough he finds out um there are 42 teams on it and they say hey you guys are on a list of affiliates that are going to get cut and that was certainly news to the people in Erie. I would imagine that was probably the case um, for many of the other affiliates. I guess uh, the ones, you know, low A or short season clubs probably had a better idea this was coming. But certainly for Erie, um, a double A team that just put a, mo- a, a ton of money into its facilities, um, this was news. This was a shock. And I think the number one thing I wanted to highlight the more I talked to people, the more I did some research is kind of the unintended consequences or at least like collateral effects of MLB's proposal to consolidate the minors. I think if you look at it on the surface and say, hey, this is going to lead to a more efficient minor league system, we can put players in complexes and work more with analytics, look at specific things they can improve on, then send them into single A, double A, triple A, have a smaller pool of players who will get paid more money, um, I, I think I read about that idea in a book. I don't remember if it was uh, Astro Ball or MVP Machine, but I read that and I thought, well, that kind of makes sense. Um, and then this report comes out and you actually look at it and you think about the people and towns and places that it affects. And all of a sudden you have to go, whoa, well, hold on here. This doesn't just happen in a vacuum. So the big thing with Erie um, received a state grant about two years ago. Um, $12 million plus another $4 million that comes from taxpayer funds. So in all, you're looking at $16 million of public money, taxpayer-backed money that went to 
um, improve UPMC Park in Erie. The reason this money went there, you know, the Tigers had been a little bit critical of Erie's um, facilities and Major League Baseball as a whole had kind of told minor league teams, if you want to keep your teams, you need to make sure that your stadiums, your amenities are up to par. Um, Erie took steps to make that happen. They already have a new playing field, a new scoreboard. Um, so another thing that came from talking to Coleman was we don't really know why we're on this list. Maybe it's the stadium's a little outdated. Maybe it's geographic. Maybe it's a, that it's a smaller market. Um, but that was one of the other shocks. In addition to all this taxpayer money that now could be at risk of really kind of civic, dis, you know, um, endangerment or like, you know, that's something that's going to 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 upset a lot of people, create tr- um, distrust in sports and and the empty promises that sometimes you know building an arena or funding a stadium can bring to a community um so anyway those are just a few of the things going on in erie there's definitely a lot of uncertainty and and a lot of people are very disappointed simply by the proposal even though that's a long way from reality right now it it seems to me that this is it's I mean, baseball is pretty good at public uh, relations debacles, but this is this is a good one. I mean, you're potentially alienating people all across the country, and, and we've seen the Congress um, respond. It is it is just kind of wild to me that nobody had any clue. I, I don't know if there's a better way to spring this on people, but <clears throat> I don't know. Just just yeah, out of the blue, in the middle of all these renovations and stuff, it's just it's kind of crazy. Maybe uh, people should have been thinking about this before but uh yeah i mean it, it's it's and to not know why you've been chosen i mean i guess you know in connecticut it makes sense just not necessarily but like hey they're shutting down the whole league okay but then after that like why why us and not uh akron or not so yeah it just seems like the, the messaging got really screwed up here yeah yeah I mean, it really like i wonder were the decision makers in the room even thinking about all this or were they, they like me and they, they read an idea and thought, Oh, that sounds good. Um, because you look at, you know, in Connecticut, the, the Connecticut Tigers signed a lease at Dodd stadium in, I think, uh, September or somewhere around there to, to be there, um, through 2030 and to pay money to lease that stadium for 10 more years. And so a month later in October, um, Pat O'Connor from minor league baseball sends out a memo to teams and says, Hey, these, you know, these cuts are being floated. Don't sign a lease or agree to any major financial deals or schedule game past 2020. And I'm sure Connecticut would have really liked to know that a month ago, because now if, if that team gets cut, um, if they're not able to play in another league or something, uh, they're on the hook for a lot of money. And that's why there's a lot of talk about, various lawsuits that could come um, from teams or owners or even communities. And I don't know exactly what the legal ramifications of all that will look like, uh, but it's going to be very interesting because all of this has a lot of different legs, right? It doesn't just happen in a vacuum. You don't suddenly snap your fingers and okay, we have 42 fewer minor league affiliates. It's, you know, it's a lot more complicated than that. Yeah. And even too, the the thing about the the Eastern league I know the Seawolves are, I think, like the it was, I believe, the tenth largest market in there, but they also you mentioned in the article too. They do have the they're a minor league affiliate for the W or excuse me for the NBA. They also have a OHL franchise and the Erie Otters, and 
OHL is one of the best junior level hockey uh, associations out there. So there is a lot to Erie than just the Seawolves. And the other thing, too, that's to me that was kind of a little bit scratching the head a little bit, too, was even like some of the mapping of the supposed how, how would this real line. If you're talking about getting rid of low A or the draft, the, even the, it could affect the draft too, because you're talking. I don't. I don't know if there was any suggestions of how many rounds would get cut, but yeah, they're saying uh, down to twenty rounds, I believe. Was it twenty rounds? Okay, possibly twenty-five. But I mean, they're talking about the making that quote-unquote dream league, and so yeah, but, yeah, and so even then, would a team like this would it mean the same being quote-unquote in a dream league? versus being associated with a major league team. Uh, yeah, you know, one of the things Greg Coleman said, he said, you call it a, a dream league, it really feels more like a nightmare. Yeah, that was a great quote. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, when he said that, I was like, all right, uh, we're using going to there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it's, you know, it changes the entire financial dynamics. Suddenly, um, you know, major league affiliates or major league baseball do a lot of the funding for these teams, especially the big costs, such as player and coach salaries. Um, so now you're probably going to have less revenue because you're playing um, in a lower quality league and you're going to have more expenses. And the way these teams are kind of spread out geographically, you might end up doing even more travel, um, except for the teams, the select few teams in big markets or that are that are close to a large group of other teams. Uh, at least what I'm hearing, especially from Greg Coleman, it just doesn't seem financially viable. Uh, the New York Times article mentions Major League Baseball might somehow subsidize the Dream League, but it seems like there are no real details on that. It seems like a very empty, hollow idea that's kind of floated out there. Um, and I don't know, maybe if, if Major League Baseball really wanted to put money into it and think how can we organize this in the most efficient manner, I mean, maybe it could work, but again, that's why the whole thing is so strange and just doesn't seem fully thought out. If it were something MLB floated as this is a proposal or this is something we're going to look at in the years to come, that's one thing. But instead, it was like this is a proposal that's on the table that could be enacted within the next year, um, which which seems short sighted. And I'll be very interested to see how it develops from here. And the, the one aspect of the Dream League that was sort of interesting to me was the, the potential for teams to pull in players like from local schools. Yeah. Which felt a little. Yeah, go ahead. Um, no, go ahead. Uh, you know, I, I don't remember the name of it. They tried, there was a thought of a football league like this like 10 years ago where they would be like a, a Michigan team in the state of Michigan that would pull players you know, lesser players from Michigan, Michigan State, Eastern Michigan, and, and that way you kind of had a built-in fan base just for people who are already familiar with them. I think Tom Brady's doing that. His agent's doing that in California. I think they're doing some sort of developmental league. I don't know if that went through or not. Yeah. Do you hear about that, Chris? Do you remember hearing about that? I, I did not, not hear about that. Yeah, there's like Tom Brady's agent. I'll, I'll look it up. Like, continue. Go ahead, continue on, though. But, yeah, I mean, that, that might mitigate it a little bit, but it's still not going to be, you know, I'm sure somebody wants to go see a, you know, a, a guy who pitched well for Pitt for four years, but they'd probably rather see Casey Mize than a one pick of the draft. Um, <laughs> well, then the other thing that you know, Raji brought up the, the draft. They're t not just talking about cutting rounds of the draft; they would push the draft back till August, I believe. Yeah, which would have uh, really far-reaching effects for the uh, the summer Woodbat leagues. 
So it's like right now, you know, Cape Cod League is kind of the premier wood bat league. And that's for essentially for, for rising juniors, you know, sophomores and freshmen. But now if they put it the draft in August, then the, that might become the preferred league for current juniors, you know, the top draft prospects to go out there and really show their stuff, which would then filter down. So you could theoretically have other wood bat leagues, uh, you know, I don't know, but again, the ge- geography is going to be an issue. That's part of the, the appeal of the Cape Cod League is all the teams are within like 50 miles or whatever. But um, yeah, I mean, in the future, you might see Erie as a, a home to a Woodbat Collegiate League uh, just to keep baseball in, in, in downtown. Like, uh, I don't remember what his name was, but he said he'd like to at least keep baseball there. Oh, by the way, the, so, the, the league, by the way, is the Pacific Pro Football League and would it be with players directly from high school into this professional environment. So, oh, interesting. So, yeah, Ed McCaffrey. Like an would be, IMG football. Yeah, essentially. And then Ed McCaffrey, the former receiver for the Broncos, would be the commissioner, apparently. And yeah. so they have Adidas uh, involved in it. So, yeah, there's some more information if you uh, interesting. if you search that. Don Yee is the agent. So that that's uh, Tom Brady's agent. So he's the one that started the whole league So for developmental purposes. But anyways, just one. Throw that in there. Yeah. We, we, you know, we talked plenty about the minors, but we could talk about the majors now. Uh, Cody, I don't know. I mean, Tigers uh, protected six guys, added six guys to the 40-man roster. Was there any surprises there to you? Um, yeah. I mean, not, nothing major. I mean, I think the, the names that um, drew some eyeballs were Derek Hill protected this year after he wasn't protected last year. Um, I don't know if Anthony Castro was a surprise, but I thought it might be an interesting call. Will they go ahead and protect Castro or – or use that spot for a younger guy like a, a Vladimir Pinto or an Elvin Rodriguez or something. Um, but all in all, I think this is probably to be expected. I think you see a little bit of the Tigers rebuild. The farm system is stocked to a little bit of a point where these decisions are made more on, okay, who might be ready to contribute uh, to the major at the major league level within the next year versus in the past when, when you have 40-man spots occupied. Um, by a guy like a Gregory Soto or, or um, you know, some of these other younger guys on the list who still aren't really major league ready. I wouldn't classify anything as a surprise. Um, and, and honestly, we can sit and talk a lot about it, but I'd be also surprised if anyone who's not protected in the Tigers system gets taken in the Rule 5 draft. Um, that's just kind of where we're at with it. It's it's interesting to talk about in the offseason, but I don't know that the – uh, the far-reaching effects are are really that prominent right now. Uh, I mean, in terms of, I mean, Vladimir Pinto does come across as I th- I thought he'd be protected. He showed he came back last year after struggling in Lakeland and, and did well in both Erie and Lakeland. And I, you mentioned him in the article, and I I think anybody out there should take a flyer at him because he has that. I mean, despite the walks, I still thought last year his he had a good year in Erie, and, and you could stick him somewhere. Maybe perhaps on a contender, and then with the rosters beyond being twenty six, maybe have him out there in a limited basis. But you hope for, for Tiger fans out there, you kind of hope he doesn't get picked. And then would it be then potentially put him back at Erie for another year? But I don't know. He had some really good stuff last year. And Chris, I mean, would you think that a team like a, I was looking at trying to think of the top five right now, but somebody he could go top five? You think? I don't know about top five. I mean, the thing. The thing about Pinto is uh, he's kind of so he relievers like him are the most abundant uh, players available in the Rule Five draft. They're just every every organization has three or four hard throwing relievers with 
control issues. Um, he's a little bit younger, I think, and, and has already gotten to double A, which is slightly unusual. 21, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah you don't, normally don't see that. Uh, but, yeah, it's, it's just kind of one of those things where guys like that are very abundant, and they're also really easy to, to stash. That's the easiest position to stash. But we saw last year with Reed Garrett. You know, he, he was older and had theoretically more polished stuff, and he just came up and got bombed, and they, they couldn't justify keeping him. Now, with the extra roster spot, who knows? But it's, I think it's a small gamble, but they probably thought that the, the downside wasn't uh, too huge. Yeah, I, I just I, I thought the Tigers would have them there, but you're right. Maybe the abundance of it at all. And then in terms of even you know, one point you made to coding your article that I did like, and it was something that sticks out. We saw him last year, what, I think about three times in Toledo. Every time we went down to Toledo, we saw him was Kyle Funkhauser. And who's a guy who a lot of people think that he could be projected as a middle relief pitcher. I, I don't know. I, I think he's more relief. I don't know if he has the ability to start, but here's a guy who can you put in the in the bullpen and see what he can do. I don't know. I, I think that this was a smart move this, to protect him and, and perhaps because the Tigers right now don't really have an abundance of middle relief talent or just guys out there who can throw multiple innings at this point that are they're not starters, and it just seems, a, I think, a natural fit for the bullpen. Yeah, I, I agree. As I said in the article, I think you absolutely have to give him that shot. Um, the state of the Tigers, you know, especially in the major leagues right now, you're not in a position to not give guys every chance to make it right. Um, you're not trying to contend. You're going to run out some pitchers who probably aren't going to have a lot of success for as bad as last year was for Kyle Funkhauser, and it was really bad um, for as much as, as the front office. He's even in their doghouse a little bit. Um, he's too talented of an arm. I mean, this was a guy who could have been a first round pick had he left college after his junior year at Louisville. Um, you know, he's been up and down ever since then. He's, he's had some minor injuries. Um, but that's not a guy you want to go see pitch for another team. And then all of a sudden he puts it together. That's not a good look. And right now the, the one good thing about the being the Detroit Tigers is you can take chances on guys like this. You can put him on the 40-man. You can stash him away in Toledo. If you want to bring him up to the bigs and say, hey, can you handle a few innings of middle, middle relief? You can do that. Um, and, and I think that's probably ultimately what got Funkhauser this this chance despite posting an eight-something ERA last year. <laughs> well, how much do you think that uh, the sort of the draft pedigree plays into that? Like, uh, you know, if Kyle Funkhauser were a 24th-rounder instead of a fourth-rounder, um, and, and if Derek Hill were a tenth rounder instead of a first rounder, do you think do you think that plays into it a little bit where the Tigers don't want to kind of admit yeah. that their draft pick didn't work out? Yeah, there's <laughs> there's a little bit of kind of a PR aspect to it. Um, and yeah, it's it's uh, one thing. Yeah, it's a loss to admit this draft pick didn't work out, and it's also a loss if you say he didn't work out and then he goes to another organization. Uh, perhaps with a, a better player development system, and then suddenly he makes it, right? Then that's an even worse look. And the other thing is, uh, if Kyle, Funk, Kyle Funkhauser wasn't a 24th rounder, um, because he has a very live fastball, yeah. good breaking stuff, and Derek Hill was a first round pick, uh, because he's an elite level athlete, and although other franchises may have more savvy scouting departments, um, they're still going to see those things pop out, and that's what give those guys you know, at least in the conversation to be to be picked in the Rule 5 draft. I would have been surprised oh. if Hill had 
simply because I just don't think he projects as a major league hitter. Uh, but I think if Kyle Funkhauser, I mean, a, a lot like Zach Brown from the Brewers, who's on that Rule 5 board, who I think will get taken by somebody, um, Kyle Funkhauser would have been right in that mix, too. The, the Chris was mentioning earlier, uh, Lucas uh, Erig, who is the left-handed. Erga, Erga, yeah, I cannot pronounce that name, sorry. Uh, the left-handed batter for the Brewers, who has a connection to the Tigers' new minor new director player personnel, or development, rather, in Kenny Graham. There's a couple, you, you almost want to think here with the Rule 5 pick, that the Tigers, and the Tigers always had, have had, they've had a history, they've, they've gone pitching heavy early on in, in the since 97, and then they, of course, with Victor Reyes being, him and Chris Sheldon, I believe, are the only two yeah, the only two Rule 5 players that have stuck around in some capacity, but there weren't pitchers. But I don't know, the, the rule, you look at the, some of the pitching talent out there. One name came to mind, and I was mentioning it earlier before the podcast, was Sterling Sharp, who is a local product, and he was projected to be a fourth, fifth starter for the Nationals and showed some really good stuff. Cody, do you think if they do go, do you go pitcher here, or do you go with another outfielder? Because you talk about Christian Stewart's uh, struggles a little bit. But doesn't seem like there's an outfielder who could stick around and make some sort of impact on this Rule Five draft picks. Yeah, it's uh, it's going to be a tricky call. I'm sure if if you were to talk to someone in the front office, they would say, "Well, we'll just look at taking the best player available." Uh, but do you need to take a flyer on you know a relief pitcher or a guy who can maybe contribute to the back end of the rotation? Or is your need really a, a hitter? Uh, and I think the 26 man next year plays into it big time uh, because you still have a, a 13 pitcher maximum. So although you can carry an eight man bullpen at all times, an extra roster spot is really intended to be a position player. Um, so do you, you know, do you take a total flyer on a guy like Wander Javier, who's not even close to big league ready, but maybe try to make him a two year type Victor Reyes project? I'm sure that's an idea that gets floated around. Uh, but if, you, if you're really looking for a guy who can c- contribute next year, who's close to major league ready, that's probably a pitcher. If you're thinking big picture, what's best for our franchise, this might be a good time to try to pick up an outfielder or even if you if you don't think you're going to sign a quality first baseman, there's some good first baseman out there, some guys with some pop. Um, that's probably what I would lean toward, but I definitely understand the argument for taking a pitcher as well. Yeah, it definitely it doesn't feel like a time to go for somebody who could help you right away. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> you know, we, we people who follow the farm system, you know, they talk about it's very pitching heavy. And the Tigers themselves admit that, you know, they want to get some more hitters. So it just seems like if there's a chance, even if the guy has no hope of staying afloat in the majors next year, there's a chance to add some some positional talent to the system. It seems like the right move to do. But. But we'll see what they do. You know, with, with 26 man rosters, maybe they want, <laughs> maybe they want another youngish starter, um, in, in 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 plans for maybe trading Matthew Boyd or something like that. I don't know. Uh, it, it'll be interesting to see what they do. Yeah, or a guy like Jason Vossler, the he's a lefty bat, which suits well, and that's all some of his power numbers. The Tigers definitely need a lot of power. There's there's, well, it doesn't even self explanatory. But uh, yeah, there's some power here in this draft, and again, just looking at strikeout rates and walks, there the strikeout rates are pretty high among the the picks here. But still, nevertheless, yeah, yeah you're right, Chris, and, and you guys are both right. If it's if it's a project player, I'm okay with it, as long as there's some sort of progress with whomever they pick, and that's 
I mean, I, I like the reason why I want a starter is because the, the starting pitcher you look at Zimmerman last year is he's going to go out there and slush it along again. And Franco Perez has not, not still has not pitched enough to where you trust his, if he's going to be a workhorse out there or not. And you have another year of Mize and Manning and Fado down there. So why not have a starter who could just potentially give you 120 innings, 120, maybe 150 innings at, I mean, he's going to get shelled a little bit, but I don't know. That's just my opinion. So, yeah, I mean, that the, they lost 114 games. There's not a, not, they're not a lot of set positions, so they could go any number of ways, I think. All right. So, Cody, before we let you go, what do you have coming up? Do you have anything coming up shortly? And what is your offseason looking like uh, besides watching? I'm sure there's a lot of Big 12 football coming up down the pipeline for you. Yeah, for sure. Some Big 12 football. We've got, uh, we've got, Bedlam next week, Oklahoma, Oklahoma State. Um, um, you know, going home for Thanksgiving, trying to enjoy a little bit of downtime. But do have some good projects coming up. Um, obviously, we've got Lou Whitaker on the Hall of Fame ballot, and uh, we're going to have a, a, a good story on Lou Whitaker coming up that hopefully provides a little more detailed look at at his life and his hometown and some of the stuff that's out there, at least um, that that's been written in a long time. So that's probably the number one thing i'm i'm excited about and i'll go ahead and tell you guys i've uh, uh i know alavila is not the most popular guy in town but uh, i've been looking into alavila's roots as the the head coach at st thomas university and it's actually pretty interesting there's some interesting stories there um to realize that you know al uh although his dad was a was a famous scout and, and dodgers executive alavila's route in baseball is is not someone not that of someone who you think would have kind of grew grew up in the game like he did. Uh, th- this guy did some odd jobs, some internships, really worked his way up to becoming a major league general manager. So um, that will probably stay in the tank for a while. But there's some interesting stuff there that a lot of people probably don't think about. Oh, that's awesome. I mean, yeah, he has worked his way up, and he's never had a chance to talk. Just only talk, I've only talked to him one time in the press box, but he just he's so ju- like among everybody in there. He's he greets everybody in there, and so, but yeah, he's he's worked in baseball for a very long time, so I'm I'm looking forward to that. So you can find Cody. Uh, Go ahead, Cody. Oh, sorry, I did not interrupt. I just want to, Cody. You went to Oklahoma State, correct? Yeah, Oklahoma State. And but you had to cover Oklahoma. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> how, was, how was that? Was that a real test of your journalistic ethics? You know, it wasn't. Um, so so I actually grew up a Texas fan, which adds a whole oh, other to the thing but then uh went to oklahoma state and, and, uh, from day one i kind of uh wanted to wanted to become a journalist so i never bought too big into like becoming an oklahoma state fan you know gotcha. uh I, I probably come to support them more like since i've graduated and left like big 12 country than anything um and, and really basketball and baseball more than the football team football program in my opinions you know you know, a little bit of a mess, but um, even though they win games. But uh, so anyway, and then when I was looking for a job, it was like, well, yeah, I'm going to cover Oklahoma. Like, that's a that's yeah. a program. And, and it was a, uh, a ton of fun to cover for two years. Baker Mayfield, Bob Stoops, Lincoln Riley, a little bit of Kyler Murray. So um, it wasn't there. It was more from every now and then, you know, you would hear it from readers if they knew you were an Oklahoma State grad. They Accuse you of bias, especially if you're writing about a guy who got arrested or uh, if you yeah, break yeah. 
story about uh, Heisman finalist D.D. Westbrook um, and, and arrests for uh, domestic violence in his past, you might you might have some people claim you only wrote that because you went to Oklahoma State. Um, but obviously, that that's not actually how it works. So, yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, not a lot of, not a lot of people know how journalism is supposed to work. Yeah. <laughs> I, I wish there was like a mandatory journalism or media class in high school oh, so people so. would understand that. But uh, but that just makes me a dictator. But anyway, no, all right, Roger, you were wrapping up. Sorry. No, it's okay. No, I was going to say you were a big fan of Oklahoma State basketball and Eddie Sutton's teams always, in terms of uh, tournament time, were always a, uh, I don't know, they busted my, a lot of my brackets. But they, nevertheless, when they made a deep run, that's just, that's such a, such a historic, historic program. There's so much history behind that program. and. Uh, on the basketball side of things, so and then Mike Gundy with the yeah, <laughs> Mike Gundy. Mike Gundy has every time I watch a game, his hair never is like he never moves. It's, it's he's got the Jimmy Johnson thing going, but anyways. he's got to be one of the longest uh, tenured football coaches now, right? Yeah, him and Pat Fitzgerald, um, probably fifteen years almost, fourteen yeah. maybe. Um, so yeah, long time. And the, and that at Oklahoma State uh, basketball team, I don't know, it was Brad Underwood only there for one year. Yeah, one year. Yeah, that, that, a- that team was, oh, man. I remember they, they played that game against Michigan in the tournament, and that was just a, a track meet. It was crazy. Yeah, for sure. They signed uh, Kate Cunningham, number one or number two recruit for next year, depending on what on what board you look at. So many people are psyched about that. Nice. Well, I look forward to all your articles. You can find them at the Athletic Detroit and – his latest article talks about the uh, his 10 thoughts on the addition to the 40-man roster. Cody, thanks so much for joining us this evening. Really appreciate it. Yeah, happy Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. Yeah, you too. Thanks. Hey, everybody. We all know that November is one of the greatest sports months of the year. Yeah, and don't forget uh, college football. Michigan, Ohio State, Michigan State, and Rutgers. Big, uh, big rivalry there. Um, if you're the kind of player who likes to bet a little to win a lot, which is kind of the way I do it, then you could try a parlay. Don't be confused. This isn't one of those things where a bunch of pirates get together and talk to each other. It's not one of those parlays. This is where you, like if you have a couple big favorites this week, you, you place a bet on multiple teams and you tie it all together. And that, that way, you know, if you hit all three of them, obviously it, it increases your, decreases your odds of winning all three, but you get more money. And that's a good way to do it. And, and I'm a firm believer in betting against your favorite teams. Just uh, that way, if they win, you don't feel too bad. If they lose... You go, ah, well, I want some money. So it feels good. But that's just my philosophy. You've got all sorts of different options with, with my bookie. You can do props, futures, and in-game betting available, too. Yeah, and they, they also have the coming up. They have next week for the Lions and Bears, the Turkey Day free play for 2019. You bet the Bre- Bears and Lions full spread. Your first cash bet qualifies straight wagers, and the maximum 250 will be funded as cash. So what is there to lose? If you join right now, they also my bookie will match your deposit. All the way up to a thousand dollars. That means if you deposit two thousand dollars, you'll get an extra thousand dollars to with free money to play with. Yeah, and I assume if you deposit one thousand, you'll also get a free one thousand. But yeah, it's it's uh, that's a nice uh, nice bonus there. So just use the promo code Overtime to activate the offer. And once again, that's the promo code Overtime to take advantage of my bookie's generous sign up offer. Visit mybookie.ag today. You play, you win, you get paid. Paid. Fill up that wallet. <laughs> Double that paycheck, son. Son. <laughs>